coming up. From my understanding, Julie Boyd was somebody that was fierce. She she was not timid by any means, and so they believed she would have fought back. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Just remember looking out the back window and thinking, God, don't let me waste this. Debbie White's 26-year-old daughter, Julie Boyd, was murdered on New Year's Eve 2004. She remembers her daughter's memorial, people lining up to give their condolences. I just need somebody to come up and tell me I'll survive this, you know, that I can live through this. One of our fears is that people will forget our children, and so I don't want ever anyone ever to forget who she was. That mother in Kentucky has gone on to spend much of her time and energy helping others who've experienced the loss of a loved one. Her daughter, Julie, was killed in 2004. The man convicted of her murder remains behind bars. But to this day, he claims he's innocent, that someone else was behind the murder of Julie Boyd. I'm joined by Kristen Goodwillie, an anchor and reporter at WHS 11 in Louisville, Kentucky. Kristen, thanks for being here with us. Thanks for having me. Kristen, this case has some real odd twists and turns along the way, but I want to go back to what happened back in 2004, and it was that New Year's Eve early in the morning when Julie Boyd came into the hospital. She was brought in by a man named Harvey Skaggs, and she was dead on arrival. Anything else that we know about that night before we sort of talk more about how she met this man, Harvey Skaggs, and why he was the one bringing her to the hospital that night? Right. So I think the issue is what led up to going to the hospital. And and it's kind of a he said, she said. And unfortunately, there isn't that much evidence to show what happened. And so prosecutors had a hard time trying to figure out what exactly happened and have said to me that we probably will never have a clear picture of what exactly happened to Julie Boyd that night. But essentially, she was beaten to death. And so Harvey Skaggs carried her to the hospital. He actually collapsed at the entrance of the hospital. And then nurses and doctors came and carried both of them in. And it it was announced that Julie Boyd was dead upon arrival. Um, And Harvey had some issues with his neck is what he was he was claiming and so they put him in kind of this little neck brace essentially but as you said it's really about everything that happened before and really horrific situation where a young woman is brought into the hospital beaten to death but julie had met and been in contact with harvey skaggs not long before then right it was it was december and she had been going through a lot as well maybe we should talk about that she had been through divorce is my understanding, but was getting back on her feet. Right, right. So the truly devastating aspect of this story to me is that Julie Boyd was this vibrant, beautiful 26-year-old who was extremely intelligent. She had recently, within that year, her husband had said, I want a divorce. And from what family has told me, she was trying really hard to make things work and he wanted a clean break. And so she had this, her whole life was kind of swept under from her. She was trying to have children at that point. And so she had to find a way to handle this divorce and find a new job. She decided to move back closer to home 
um, which is closer to Elizabethtown. And she she found a new job. She found an apartment. She was going to a church, uh, multiple church groups. Her mother describes her as a child of God, but she she was leaning on uh, many of these church groups to help with that divorce. And that is where she met Harvey Skaggs, was in this divorce church group. Um, but it, it's really sad because she was on the up and up at that point in her life. She was getting, um, she, she actually was starting to build her own home. She was getting all of that together. She was saving money. She had this job she was excited about. She had just gone on a girl's vacation out of the country and everything shows that she, she was pretty happy. I mean, she is just, she went that night to get her a truck from her husband because her car was breaking down. It was in the middle of winter. It was snowy. She was having a hard time getting to work. And so she needed this truck that her and her husband owned together. And she was trying to go repossess it. Right. And so that, that repossession was really why Skaggs was with her that night, right? He had offered to help out or she was hiring him to help out. Right, exactly. He had said that he does some odd jobs. And so she asked, would you be able to help me repossess this truck from my husband? And so that was the plan was they were going to meet in Rineyville at this gas station, essentially, and take his truck to go repossess uh, the truck from from um, Julie's husband or ex-husband. And what do we know about what happened next? Was she in touch with any other family members? What What do we know for sure happened before things get really murky? So 9.30 was the last time that Boyd talked on the phone with her friend, Linda Davis. So she was going to stay at Linda Davis's house at that night after repossessing the truck because she didn't want her husband to find out where she was. She had said to uh, many people, within her family, within her friend group, that she was afraid of her husband. And that was all that all came out in trial as well. So that that is in the recordings from trial that she she did tell multiple people that she was afraid of her husband. And so she called Linda Davis to just give an update. And what she said is well, things aren't looking good. Maybe we're not going to get it tonight. We're waiting for them to bring the truck. 11.30 p.m. was the last phone call Boyd made, and it was to her mom, Debbie White. And after that, we don't know what happened other than around 2 a.m. is when Harvey Skaggs brought her to the hospital. We know what Harvey Skaggs says happened because I interviewed him in prison. But Harvey Skaggs alleges that while they were waiting at that Rineville gas station, two masked men came into the truck and demanded that they drive. And he said they were naming Julie. They knew who Julie was, and they are the ones who ultimately ended up beating Julie Boyd. So according to Harvey Skaggs, they're attacked, and then he wakes up hours later or or a while later, She's there, and he takes her to the hospital. Yeah, he says that one of the attackers, I guess, strangled him with what he felt was a shoelace, and he passed out, is what he says, and that when he woke up, Julia Boyd was next to him gurgling, and so he he rushed her to the hospital. 
What about evidence? I know there was a handgun that was found with blood, but then it was determined maybe it wasn't blood. Can you talk about some of the evidence? Yeah, so the evidence is interesting. It took us about a year for Kentucky State Police to release this evidence, which was interesting to us because it was a closed case. This wasn't a cold case by any means. It was closed. There is a man in prison who has been in prison for multiple years at this point. Uh, So it took us a year to get those files. We are the first people to get them. And there were two initial suspects, which were Harvey Skaggs and then Boyd's husband. And evidence does show that investigators took a handgun that seemed to be covered in blood from Boyd's husband. And what they found is, I guess, the blood did not match. It it did not um, really come up with anything. And so the husband essentially was taken off of that list. Um, he, his alibi was his girlfriend. And so that night they, in the files, they have a timeline of what they did that night. And what Boyd's girlfriend said at the time was they stayed up the entire night making jello shots and watching TV. And so that's the alibi that they have for the husband. And Skaggs says that he never names the husband as the person who did this, but um, he he alleges that two people came in and beat Julie. Though what the evidence shows is that while there was blood inside the van, what investigators believe happened is that she was actually taken outside of the van and killed outside of the van. And they have never found the place that she was killed. They have never found the weapon that was used to kill her. Eventually, Harvey Skaggs was arrested. Yes, Harvey Skaggs was arrested. And that's where the ring comes in. So those were the things that were missing from Julie Boyd when she came to the hospital, was her engagement ring and her wedding ring. And I believe another ring um, as well. And it was this rare duchess cut. And so investigators, when they're interviewing Harvey Skaggs's girlfriend who he had just proposed to, they noticed that she was wearing a duchess cut engagement ring on her pinky and thought that was weird. And so they alleged that that ring is the same as Julie Boyd's. During the trial, there were multiple witnesses um, as well as experts who came forward and it didn't give a clear understanding whether they could definitively say whether that was that ring or not. Debbie White, the mother of Julie Boyd, and Boyd's husband both claimed that is that was her engagement ring. Harvey Skaggs says that it wasn't. Um, so that's where that key evidence, and I think what really hit home with investigators, that Harvey Skaggs was the person who did this. He would eventually go to trial, and he was convicted. I believe he would face a sentence that would give him parole in something like 25 years. But tell us about the trial. Did anything come out of it that was, you know, a, a, a real a, a real shock to anyone? Or was a lot of this evidence already out there? And we heard about the ring. We heard about some of the blood evidence and that night. Anything else? I think there has always been this sense from people that I spoke to that didn't make it into my story, but who wanted to talk to me on background, is that this wasn't the full picture, essentially. I There's a lot of uh, theories about what happened, but I think a lot of people question why the husband wasn't looked at more, 
because, you know, out of this trial, multiple people, family members, even a neighbor said that Julie Boyd had purchased a gun because she said that she was afraid of her husband. And while I think a majority of people believe that Skaggs did do this, they they think that there's more to the story. Um, for instance, there was one bloody fingerprint outside of the van, which did not match Skaggs and came back as inconclusive for Julie. And that's according to testimony at the trial. Um, it's also important to note that as far as DNA is concerned, no DNA was found under Boyd, Boyd's nails and Skaggs' DNA was not found on her purse or any potential weapons in the van. Uh, that was something that I, I think family and friends thought was interesting um, and confusing because from my understanding, Julie Boyd was somebody that was fierce. She, she was not timid by any means. And so they believed she would have fought back. Uh, so it's confusing to them why there was no DNA found under Boyd's nails. Harvey Skaggs has, I believe now, less than a decade to go before he could potentially be released on parole. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But what was it like talking to him behind bars about this case? I was surprised at how willing he was to talk, considering he had never spoken to any media before. And he essentially wanted to explain what happened to him and what he thought went wrong at the trial. He he says that he does he did not kill Julie Boyd, but also did not have many answers about who he thought were those two masked men that did kill her. And he he said that, you know, I think he was most empathetic he said to Julie Boyd's parents because they are they are the ones that are really you know affected by this who have spent a lot of their life advocating for their daughter and then advocating for um, domestic abuse and victims of violence since then right in fact uh, I, I believe her mother has had a Kentucky law revised or changed right that has to do with victim impact statements. Yes, she has, because it, it used to be that they they weren't able to give impact statements. And she felt like that was wrong because her, her daughter was taken from her. And she felt like she, as well as friends and family, deserved to be able to, to talk about Julie and talk about who she was as a person to allow her to live on. And so now... They, victims' families can speak and give impact statements. She also holds grief workshops at um, a local church, Southeast Christian Church, and it, it's widely successful. People come around the country to go to her workshop on how to handle grief and turn it into something that you can live with because it, it just it took such a toll on the family, especially, I mean, I think anybody can can understand dealing, you know, having your daughter deal with this divorce and then be turning her life around and, and on the up and up. And then this tragic thing happened to them. And so it's really a testament to how they took this unimaginable tragedy and are turning it around to help others around the country who are also dealing with, with similar tragedies. 
Yeah, really incredible. Uh, Kristen, I know you covered this, I think it was a few years ago, and we're coming up in a two more years. It'll be 20 years since Julie Boyd died. In your investigation and in your reporting, did you ever speak with Julie Boyd's ex-husband? I tried extremely hard to talk with him and reach out with him. I went to multiple addresses that he lived or his family members lived. I sent notes to him. I called and left messages and they were never, never accepted. I I don't know that he ever received them, but I, on Facebook as well, I messaged the account and I have never gotten a response back from him. Um, I I would love to talk with him, but at this point, it doesn't seem like that that's going to happen. You brought this case to us and told us about it a while ago, and we've been wanting to talk to you about it. I, I, I get the sense that this holds, it, it has some real, I don't want to use the word fascination, but there's some interesting elements to it. It's tragic, and you've talked about that, and this young woman who was really building her life back up. And, and then you've talked to somebody who's now behind bars, convicted for the murder. Right. I think it's important. I I heard about... Julie Boyd's case while I was at this um, event. It's called New to Lou, if you're new to Louisville. And and I met a bunch of um, people and was just talking about things. And someone brought up this case and how nobody really had covered it. And And then I started reaching out to Julie Boyd's mother. It was really important to me that she was okay with me telling her daughter's story because I didn't want to drudge up new information or this case if she was moving forward and didn't want to see that again. But she was willing to talk with me. And and there was just this sense, every single friend that I spoke to who said, yes, you know, keep going, try and and learn what happened, try and get those investigative files. Because there are still questions, even though somebody is in prison, Harvey Skaggs is in prison and convicted for her murder. The prosecutor said, you know, we might we might never know what happened exactly that night. And and I think that's that's what's hard about this case. And I think it's something that I I felt like Julie Boyd, her name should be known because she was somebody who was doing so much good in her community and who was trying and and really had nothing bad about her. I didn't meet anybody who had anything to say anything negative. I mean, she she was just trying to work on herself and grow as a human. And, and I think that is what drew me to the case. And then also the fact that Harvey Skaggs was willing to talk with me and give his side of the story. And Kristen, where's Harvey Skaggs? What facility is he being held in today? So when I originally interviewed him, he was at Green River Correctional Complex, and he had been there for 15 years. But since this story aired within the week, we got a message from him saying that he was being transferred to essentially one of the farthest facilities in Kentucky from us here in Louisville. And that that's where he is now. Kristen Goodwillie, WHS 11 in Louisville. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Daily Crime, a podcast from Vault Studios. Be sure to check out our other podcasts, including Bardstown, The Officer's Wife, and our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson.